I know that you still love your kids. You don't, you don't need to qualify that for me. We all love our kids, but I will readily tell you that some days my toddler is not the nicest person. He bit me yesterday. Like it's right. And that, that sucks. I still love, I love him dearly. I do not love being bitten. Ever feel like you suck at this job? Motherhood, I mean. Have too much anxiety and not enough patience. Too much yelling, not enough play. There's no manual, no village, no guarantees. The stakes are high. We want so badly to get it right. But this is survival mode. We're just trying to make it to bedtime. So if you're full of mom guilt, your temper scares you. You feel like you're screwing everything up and you're afraid to admit any of those things out loud. This podcast is for you. This is Failing Motherhood. I'm Danielle Batman, and each week we'll chat with a mom ready to be real, sharing her insecurities, her fears, her failures, and her wins. We do not have it all figured out. That's not the goal. The goal is to remind you, you are the mom your kids need. They need what you have, you are good enough, and you're not alone. I hope you pop in earbuds, somehow sneak away, and get ready to hear some hope from the trenches. You belong here, friend. We're so glad you're here. Hey, it's Danielle. Today I have on Dr. Pip Houghton, who's a family doctor on Vancouver Island, British Columbia in Canada, with a special interest in perinatal mental health. She is a mama to two boys and is passionate about normalizing the motherhood experience, the good, the hard, and everything in between. Today, I get to pick her brain on all things postpartum, anxiety and depression, and the motherhood experience on her textbooks compared to her personal story. And I just love getting to share from a place of moms that are ready to talk about the vulnerable things, and they're willing to go first and say, this is hard, this was not fun, this is not what I was expecting. Of course, I love my kids, but that does not discount the struggle and the experience and the frustration and the overwhelm and the blindsidingness and the identity shift and all of the things that happen with this period of becoming a mom. And Pip is sharing from that place from her uh, expertise as a doctor, but also getting to share her own story as well. And at the very, very end of this episode, if you don't get to listen all the way, she says a really powerful statement. She said, every mom deserves to have a happy, healthy pregnancy and a happy, healthy postpartum period. And every baby deserves to have a happy, healthy mom. And if you're not able to feel happy and healthy, please reach out to your family doctor. Please Take the first step to ask for help. And when you do, there is so much hope on the other side. And so we talk about the red flag symptoms to look for. We talk about the bittersweet love-hate relationship that we can have with motherhood and why it's okay to verbalize that. And we feel like it's not. So, of course, we know you love your kids, but let's talk about the hard. And it's okay. And no one's going to judge you for it. And we need to have more community about it. So 
I can't wait for you to hear this episode. And I hope that at least one mom after this episode takes a next step to have a further conversation, to find more support, to have more resources in her toolkit, to be able to have a happy, healthy motherhood, but without that toxic positivity as well, without having to feel like she has to keep it all together and can't talk about when she's mad at her kids or mad at her baby, because that is expected. Of course, of course you feel that way. So before, without further ado, I want to introduce Dr. Pip. Welcome to Failing Motherhood. My name is Danielle Bettman, and on today's episode, I'm joined by Dr. Pip Houghton. Hi. Welcome. Thanks for being here. Hi, Danielle. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to connect with you today. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for taking the time. Have you ever felt like you were failing motherhood? Um, that's sort of like a yes and a no. Um, so I, I don't like to let myself go down the thought path of failing motherhood. Um, certainly the thoughts enter my mind. Um, but in more recent years, I've been trying to work with thoughts and retrain my brain. So if I have one of those, oh, I'm such a failure. Oh, I suck. I try and say, no, no, no. You know, I, I recognize I'm having this fe- feeling of failure, but I am not a failure. This moment may have been a bad moment, but I am not a bad mom. Um, so that, I mean, that requires conscious effort. So yes, the thoughts do occur. Do I allow myself to dwell on it? I'm really working on not letting myself go down that cycle of failing at motherhood. Good. Already hitting us with the, with the wisdom. (laughs) That is such a powerful reframe though, because you're right. We all have these feelings which is why we resonate with them so deeply, but it is a choice of what we do with them and how we process them and how long we let them stay and all of that. Mm-hmm. So I I want to, like, let's start from the beginning. Yeah. Share a little bit with our listeners about who you are and what you do so we can get a good idea of all of the, all the wisdom you have in store. Yeah. So I'm a family doctor in British Columbia, Canada on um, Vancouver Island. So I, I trained in primary care and I was, um, in my residency when I, uh, had my first baby and I was on mat leave during my residency training and kind of realized that there were a lot of things in family practice that I didn't realize about new motherhood, just because you can't, you can't learn everything in family medicine. And a lot of it, you learn a lot of motherhood you learn by doing or from other mothers, um, So it sort of primed my brain to think about caring for mothers when I went back to work. But during that same time frame, a close friend of mine had quite a struggle with postpartum depression. And through supporting her, I really became aware of my own knowledge and experience gaps and decided to pursue some advanced training in perinatal mental health through Postpartum Support International and just in what I've learned there and working with moms since I've become really passionate about um, pro- promoting evidence-based scientific medical content on maternal mental health and um, trying to dispel myths, but also just making transition to motherhood more relatable, more real, um, open up opportunities to be vulnerable and share 
truth so that women feel less stigmatized. So needed. Yes. And I'm sure that that hits home for you personally from your own experience. So being in the doctor community, I mean, you, you have a leg up on the rest of us, right? Like you have experience in at least knowing the science behind some of the things of what to expect, maybe not the emotional, you know, mental side of it. But what did you think motherhood was going to look like compared to what your experience was? So that probably is, is three steps back from even when my first was born, because I, I came into motherhood with uh, multiple early uh, trimester losses. So a number of miscarriages, um, which was not part of my plan, right? Like I am a perfectionist by nature. I'm type A and I like things to go according to plan. So my plan was I would get married. I would do a year of residency. I would get pregnant and have a baby. And, uh, that sort of went according to plan until my first pregnancy ended in miscarriage. And then my second pregnancy ended in miscarriage. And then my third pregnancy had some complications, ended up being successful. So that was my first son, but then my birth didn't go according to plan. And then I had another miscarriage and, you know, it's just things, it was very humbling because in my mind, if you plan and you put effort in things, things go according to plan. Um, and the pregnancy experience was the first step of being humbled by motherhood. And so in that I learned to let go of a lot of things, especially after the third miscarriage, when it was kind of like, okay, this is just the journey I'm walking. I, I can't, I can't fight it. I just have to accept it and live in it and try not to control it anymore. Um, so that you know, that was a big shift in how I pictured motherhood. I pictured the entry to motherhood to be much easier than it was. And then I think, you know, I was impacted by the bliss myth that we all have before we have a baby that, you know, I would have this baby, we would bond, we would feel intimately connected and everything would be rosy. And I would have that baby strapped to my chest and I'd be going for hikes and to the coffee shop and breastfeeding would be great. And that's not how it happened. I found because I think probably because of the grief of my pregnancy loss story combined with, you know, my birth not going the way I planned, I didn't have any significant birth trauma. It just didn't go the way I had hoped. And so there was a bit of grief around birth not going the way I expected. It made it difficult to bond with my son in the first few weeks. I was just kind of really fixated on that sort of grief and loss of the birth experience. And so um, that was a bit unexpected too. And it sort of made me feel a bit guilty. Like, you know, I know I love this baby, but I don't really know him. I don't really feel bonded to him. And then in working through some of that with a counselor, I realized that, you know, probably for most of my pregnancy, I was walling myself off from bonding from him because I was afraid of losing him. And then just, you know, being distracted by the birth, not going according to plan. So that whole, whole initiation into motherhood was just not what I imagined. Um, the other thing I did not imagine is how important other mothers would be in coming through all of that. And so I, um, I was very well supported by other mothers who are a little bit ahead of me, close friends of mine who 
who were just comfortable sitting with me in those hard moments and normalizing what I was feeling, giving me space to talk about it without judgment and reassuring me that these things just come with time. Bonding comes with time. Bonding comes with experience. You bond with your baby as you learn to care for them and get to know them. And so that was, you know, that was a really lovely, unexpected surprise is how much I needed other mothers and how much we need each other. And so that's just, that's what I'm trying to build for every mother out there. Yeah, I can definitely relate and agree with the idea of needing other moms because that was not something that was even on my radar. I had, you know, some, some friends that had already had kids or, you know, other acquaintances, but it wasn't like we, I had some tight knit mom crew going into motherhood with, and I really had preconceived notions of what other moms were going to be like. And I didn't want any part of that because for some reason I had it built up in my mind that they were all going to be judgmental or they're, they're going to be like super granola hippie. And like, I would not resonate at all until I did the scary thing. And I did join a mom's group when my second was like two months old Mm. and it like saved my sanity hundred percent. I absolutely needed to be able to hear other mom's stories and not feel so alone and know that things were normal and just be able to bond in like all of the insecurities and anxiety that comes with this important role that we know nothing about. (laughs) Yeah. And that's what I feel. I feel so sad for first time moms in particular who have not had access to that during COVID. My second was born early on in the pandemic. And fortunately I already had those ties and community built. So I had people to lean on virtually, but you know, those first time moms who are walking that journey now without some, you know, in many cases without even grandparents involved, let alone friends and, you know, mom and baby yoga and other ways you build community. I just, I feel Mm -hmm. heartbroken for a lot of those new moms who are in isolation with no words of wisdom from others. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not like it wasn't hard enough connecting and putting yourself out there and finding the things and having the energy and not, you know, being embarrassed for walking out of your house, just looking like a hot mess. But now with the pandemic, definitely 10 times harder to connect. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So did you have uh, expectations of knowing that you knew kind of like the markers of postpartum depression, anxiety, before going into that season? And did you have more of a, you know, giving yourself that permission to go see the counselor? What did that look like? Yeah, so I I myself have not uh, walked the journey of postpartum depression, or anxiety myself, I did experience some grief as it related to my birth not going according to plan, which is what I was um, working with the counselor through. And I think everyone should have be connected with a good counselor. We all need a little counseling once in a while. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think in, in medical school, I learned the most basic aspects of screening for postpartum depression. And what I've learned since then in doing the training with postpartum support international and, and working with women is that um, the symptoms are a lot more subtle than we expect. You know, it's postpartum depression is, is, 
not usually lying in bed crying all the time. Postpartum depression is often feeling disconnected, feeling irritable, feeling fatigue, um, feeling annoyed with your spouse, feeling annoyed with your baby, feeling like you don't really enjoy your day to day, feeling overwhelmed. You know, it's a lot of the time these women come to their doctors and say, well, I feel really overwhelmed or I feel really tired. And often the doctor is not realizing what those words mean. will say, well, yeah, all new parents feel overwhelmed, which is true. We all feel overwhelmed, but there's a point at mm-hmm. which the overwhelm is too much or the irritability is too much or the anxiety is too much. And if those things are really impacting your ability to function or experience joy in motherhood, I often say if it's, you know, if it's really sucking the life out of your motherhood and you're feeling blah all the time, that's not okay. That's not normal. Um, Mm -hmm. And that, that needs to be addressed. Yeah. And I think we, we don't know either know the symptoms ahead of time or we just write them off and dismiss them or they're too normalized where it's like, yeah, this is how everybody feels. And I can definitely look back at my first postpartum season and see some of those red flags that I didn't know then I did not even Mm -hmm. have a second thought about them. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure that that's very common, but like what implications does that have when things go undetected or untreated? Yeah. So the big worry I have is that if, if, um, new parents, so mothers, fathers, or anyone who identifies as a new parent are not educated on what um, red flags to look for, they may sit in isolation for a long time. Um, And isolation is not good for mental illness. You know, uh, letting things linger on, hoping things will improve is not good for mental illness. And, you know, the, the risk and untreated clinically significant mental illness is that it, it does impact your ability to bond with baby over the long term. And we know that in many cases, untreated mental illness in the perinatal period is actually a higher risk than any medication treatment we may offer at the same time frame. It's, you know, babies who don't have that warmth and connection with their parent early on are at higher risk of cognitive changes, behavioral changes, emotional instability as they grow. Um, we know untreated mental illness in pregnancy increases the risk of preterm birth, small for gestational age, um, poor breastfeeding, poor waking after birth. So there's like, this is, this is really serious. Um, and untreated mental illness really can negatively impact the emotional well-being of the infant throughout the lifespan. You know, it, it can be, if the infant doesn't have that bond and connection early on, that can be one of the first early childhood traumas that changes the way the brain develops moving forward. So this, this is really important. This isn't just, you know, oh, moms are stressed out and they need to get over it. This is, this is a big deal. This impacts generations. This impacts, you know, the newborn and then it impacts their family moving forward. So this is something we we need to educate people on and empower them to come forward if they feel like they're not coping. Yeah. And I'm sure we can already jump into several of them, but like, what do you see as the major limiting factors to moms getting the help they need? So I think one of the big ones is uh, fear of coming forward. So I think 
a lot of the time moms recognize that they're not feeling themselves and they might sort of be toying with that is, you know, is this normal? Am I struggling? Is this a diagnosis? But they fear coming forward for a few reasons. One is we all have sort of that perfectionist need to to be able to manage on our own. So asking for help feels like a failure. You know, the other one is the stigma associated with a diagnosis. And then I know a lot of moms worry that if they come forward and say, well, I'm feeling really depressed or I'm having these intrusive thoughts that they might be deemed an unfit mother and their, their child may be apprehended, which is exceedingly uncommon. Um, and so I think that causes a lot of people to sit at home feeling worried when mm-hmm. the vast majority of the time, I mean, really a child being apprehended due to maternal mental illness is very uncommon you know, so coming forward to your family doctor, your nurse practitioner, your primary care provider is the best thing you can do for yourself and for your baby. Getting, getting help for yourself is getting help for your baby. And that doesn't always mean medication either. Lots of people are anxious about medication. Sometimes help is counseling, peer support groups, lifestyle changes, you know, psychoeducation around what's going on in your brain. It doesn't always mean medication. Mm-hmm. In in your experience or for your, for your personal perspective, do you see mom staying on medication for a very long time, or what is that relationship with when they do experiment with you know that as a treatment option? Because I think there's also fears just in and of itself with that as an mm-hmm. option. Yeah. So the worry that if I start medication today, I'll never come off of it. It's every situation is different. Um, so when I when I talk to people about medication, usually it's, um, it's a addition to all the other non-medication treatment options. And, um, I typically approach it from the perspective of, you know, the, we need to optimize your brain so that all of those non-medication things can work because you've worked really hard on those things. Mm -hmm. They're not working your brain biochemistry is not in balance right now. So the medication is to bring your brain back into balance so that all that hard work you're doing can actually work. Because sometimes we get to a point where our brain, the biochemistry in our brain is, is so low that those non-medication things just aren't going to work very well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, typically for a first episode of uh, anxiety or depression, anywhere from three to six months of treatment is necessary takes about eight weeks to get a good sense of, of if the medication is a good fit. Um, but depending on the severity of the illness, if the mother is considering future pregnancies, sometimes we talk about staying on the medication until pregnancies and postpartum periods are behind them and then consider weaning off when things are more stable, both from a lifestyle perspective as well as a hormonal fluctuation perspective. Um, you know, cause it's, there's more risk and going off and on medication and letting your mental health swing back and forth than keeping things stable until you know that you've reached a point in your life where things have settled down. And that's mm-hmm. always going to be an individual conversation with each individual mother and what their lifestyle is, what their circumstances are and, you know, what their individual preferences are for care. Mm-hmm. And what about moms that are, you know, a little bit farther along in their motherhood journey? Maybe they never had taken any of these steps and now their kids are, you know, like your kid's age three and one, and they're still 
completely overwhelmed, beating themselves up about not having the patience level that they thought they would. They feel triggered and irritated by many things and just feel like they're failing because they're just always bubbling under the surface because there's Mm -hmm. so many thoughts running through their heads or they never feel like anything gets accomplished. They're losing themselves, you know, like Mm -hmm. all of that vicious cycle and snowball momentum is falling. What do you recommend they do in that case? So anger, irritability, rage, all the emotions in that sort of um, realm often are secondary emotions. So it's, it's an emotion that's trying to point you to what you're actually feeling. So if you're feeling really quick to anger or irritated really, um, really frequently, you know, snapping at your spouse, snapping at your kids, feeling like everything is a trigger, um, the first step would be to get yourself to a place where you bring that intensity of emotion down and then really try and reflect on what's going on. So is it overwhelm? Do you have too much going on? Are you trying to juggle too many things? Are you trying to multitask? Our brains don't multitask well. And, you know, are, are you losing connection with yourself, but really taking a look back onto what is the anger trying to tell you? Usually anger is, is a signpost for something else. And so, you know, sometimes we need help in working through that. That's where counselors are awesome. Therapists or counselors can help us kind of identify those triggers for anger and work back and figure out what the issue is. Sometimes it's just a matter of finding that baseline issue and sorting out some solutions. So it's not an issue anymore. So, you know, is there an imbalance in your households between the parents in terms of childcare and domestic duties? And are you feeling overwhelmed and resentful because of that? And, you know, I think most, um, most mothers in particular can relate to the emotional labor that comes with mothering. So that, you know, the decision fatigue, the planning, even when our spouses are really, involved in the hands-on aspects. A lot of mothers feel they still carry the bulk of the planning and logistical work. So, you know, sometimes it's a matter of sitting down with your spouse and re rearranging how that looks in your family to take some of that overwhelm and decision fatigue out of your brain. Um, and just, you know, sometimes just simple solutions can help to, to reduce the overwhelm so that the anger and irritability is lessened. Uh, That being said, anger and irritability are really common symptoms of anxiety in women, not just in the perinatal period, but in women in general. So, you know, a mom who may have school-age children, if she's really struggling with anger and reactivity, irritability, you know, and in combination with other symptoms of anxiety, maybe not sleeping well at night, um, if she's tried some strategies to reduce that and she's still feeling just really tense all the time, I I would certainly encourage her to reach out to her family doctor or primary care provider to do an assessment to see if anxiety could be contributing. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad we're having more of those conversations, but it still is the exception to the rule. And I think that there is still a lot of a lot of us that have undetected issues where we could really benefit from even just a little bit of sorting out or having a person for a little bit to support us in being able to come to some new conclusions and make some new steps or reevaluate, you know, the load that we're carrying and Mm -hmm. all of that. But it, it is, it's normal, but there's, there's hope. It doesn't have to stay that place. 
right? Like it's there, there's better days ahead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So I feel like every time there is a post that's trying to normalize, you know, some of the frustration and the overwhelm and like the struggle is real type of, you know, honesty that we need to feel like we're normal people. There's always that tagline has to be there that says like, but I love my kids because everyone is so quick to assume if you're complaining, then clearly you're not a good mom or you don't love your kids or there's like a whole slew of assumptions that are tagged onto this. So where, where does that come from and why do we feel stuck in that, like, you know, that tug of war between those two worlds? I think culturally we've just been trained to feel that if we chose motherhood, we have to love every minute of it, which is not realistic because in what other realm of our lives is that an expectation? You know, like I think about, I think about transitioning from residency to independent practice, something I'd been working towards for 12 years had invested a lot of finances into a huge moment in my life. Do I love every moment of that? No. Um, Can I say that freely to my colleagues, to my spouse, to my friends? Of course I can, because it's acceptable to not love every moment of your occupation. It's acceptable to not love every moment of your choice to train for a marathon, right? We accept those things. We don't accept that in parenthood and motherhood we for some reason believe sorry there's a toddler bouncing around upstairs um we for some reason believe that motherhood has to be this very altruistic like self-sacrificing um can't say i've had a hard day experience i think Mm -hmm. that's improving to a certain extent but yeah even you know socially when i have conversations with friends um you know they may say oh i'm going through the four month sleep regression. It's brutal. Baby's not napping, but don't get me wrong. You know, up until now, he's been a really good sleeper. I feel super lucky, super blessed that he has been good up until this point. It's just, it's a bad moment. And, you know, I think that's just culturally how we've been trained. I try my best to say to people, you know, if, if you're complaining, um, I know that you still love your kids. You don't, you don't need to qualify that for me. We all love our kids, but I will readily tell you that some days my toddler is not the nicest person. He bit me yesterday. Like it's right. And that, that sucks. I still love love that moment. I love him dearly. I do not love being bitten. Um, And I'm, I'm happy to say that, you know, that, that was a jerk move on his part, but you know, there's, there's reasons for why he bit. There's lots going on in that toddler brain. So I can empathize with him, but my emotion in the moment was, well, this sucks. Um, right. But, you know, never <laughs> once do I question my love for my children. Never once is it, well, I've decided motherhood is not for me. It's just, it's a moment that sucks. We all have moments that suck. And I think the more we normalize that and allow our friendships space to sit in the hard moments we'll all be better for it. And, and often the first step is just being honest yourself. So just putting it out there yourself, you know, this really sucked for me today. I am not loving the work of motherhood today. This was a hard moment. Can you, can you get together to chat over this tricky issue I have going on with my kids? 
And, Mm -hmm. you know, being the first to express the vulnerability usually gives other people permission to open up. Yes. It's scary to go first, but it's really, really empowering Mm -hmm. to know that there is hope on the other side and that other mother moms do feel the same way. And sometimes even when you voice the most specific example, you realize how absolutely universal that moment is. Yeah. And it's so reassuring. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, haven't we all felt mad at our baby for not napping when we wanted them to? You know, it's hundred percent, you know, and, and then we sit there feeling guilty thinking, well, I shouldn't feel mad at my baby. They're just a baby. I'm, you know, I'm mom. I'm supposed to be patient 24 seven. Why am I mad at my baby? It's okay. We get mad at everyone. You know, it's okay to feel mad at your baby, put your baby down somewhere safe, walk away, close the door, take some breaths, gather yourself, do what needs to be done. And then call a friend once baby's sleeping and say, man, I'm mad at my baby. That nap did not go well. You know, that's what, that's what community is for. That's why having other mothers is so important um, to reduce stigma and prevent people from being in isolation. Yes. Yeah. One of the things I say so often to usually my new clients that are coming in and they're saying like, here's all the things that we're struggling with. Here's how thin my patience is. And I ask them about, you know, any of the changes that they've overgone in the last year with the pandemic, you know, all of the isolation, all of the moving or job changes or, you know, homeschooling or all of these things that are happening, usually a new baby. And like, there's at least a handful and, you know, they're struggling in a lot of ways. And I just say, of course you are. Of course. It's yeah. so normal mm-hmm. that you're struggling in these ways because, yeah, like that is as expected yeah. when you have so many things going on that are haywire and that are not ideal and that are really hard on you and really hard on your kids and they're stressful. And, yeah, of course you are frustrated. Of course mm-hmm. you feel like, you know, you're overwhelmed. That's expected. You are human. You can only you only have such a amount of capacity. It doesn't matter if you're a parent or not. You don't get to like have this supernatural tank to pull from and you know, you just didn't have yours installed and everyone else has one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um I think part of what you're speaking to too is sort of our our cultural need to engage in toxic positivity all the time too. Mm -hmm. That that need to sort of buck up or, you know, at at least, you know, at least you have a baby, you know, I, I, myself going through pregnancy loss, a lot of the messaging I got was, well, at least, you know, you can get pregnant, you know, and that those sorts of statements around hard moments. So, you know, in motherhood, we hear it a lot when you may reach out to someone in your life and say, I'm having a really hard day you may get a response that, you know, well, enjoy the moments these times, this, this season is short, enjoy it while it lasts. And, you know, that's, that's absolutely true. It, the season is short and you will miss it when it's gone. But in the moment, you don't need that positive raw, raw statement. What you need is someone to sit with you in it, like you said, and just, you know, acknowledge that it's hard. Yeah. The more that you can hold space for it, the more that you can accept it yourself and have others around you accept it, then then you're ready. Yeah. Then you're ready for resources. Then you're ready to ask for help. Then you're ready for, okay, but what can I do about it and problem solve? But until then, you're just – your brain's basically escalating that message of like, listen to me. Stop yeah. what yeah. you're doing and like <laughs> – 
just be with like accept this motion process it and realize how big it feels and then you know you'll be able to get to the other side for yeah. sure yeah so tell us more about making mama well yeah so i started a social media platform about a year ago um just really just to put education and content out there that would be, you know, relatable and hopefully educational so that if a mom was sitting at home wondering if things were normal or maybe she needed help, she would maybe feel empowered um, to speak to her family doctor. And um, I just really love putting the content together. And so I have been working to grow that over the last year. And uh, my website has just launched this morning. So on my website, I've got some sort of expanded uh, blog posts that tie back to what you see on my social media, as well as some for purchase content. So there's a postpartum guide. I've done a little course on perinatal anxiety. So, you know, how to identify anxiety and some self-management skills and, you know, how to, how to maximize your visit from your doctor if you feel you need help and what help options might be provided to you. Um, and my intent is to keep adding to that course library once a month. So uh, I've got plans for, you know, transitioning from one baby to two, you know, and the motions around that, um, postpartum depression, navigating relationship ch- challenges, just, you know, common issues that affect all of us in just quick blurbs that you can watch uh, during an hour. So needed. Thank you for putting all of that out there. And I love to have listeners connect with that. So where can they find you? Yeah, my social media is making mama well. So that's Instagram and Facebook. And then my website is www.makingmamawell.ca. Awesome. So my last question that I ask every guest is how are you the mom that your kids need? I am the mom my kids need because I'm here. I'm, I'm here with them. I'm here in the hard moments. I'm here in the sweet moments. And that's, that's what our babies need. They just need mom to be happy, healthy, and here. Yes. Yes. And it sounds simple. It sounds simple, but it's not always (laughs) simple. And, and, you know, the thing I always like to say is every mom deserves a happy, healthy pregnancy and postpartum. Every baby deserves a happy, healthy mama. If you are not in a place where you are happy or healthy, there is help. There's no, you know, there's no judgment in coming forward. So connect with your family doctor if you, if you feel you're struggling. Yes. I hope that at least, at least one mama takes that next step after this episode. And that would be worth our time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule and being able to share from that place of expertise and experience and personal story. It's so helpful to just get these stories out there and talk about these symptoms and, you know, create more of a conversation. And I'm so glad that you're passionate about it and that you are creating really practical resources for moms in this stage. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I really enjoyed connecting with you today. Absolutely. Okay, that was encouraging, right? This is normal, of course, we feel this way, and there is so much hope when you take a next step. And I hope that you have allowed yourself 
to feel more normal and feel okay with the conflicting feelings that you feel on a daily basis. And I hope you know that you are normal and it's okay to ask for help and your kids deserve for you to be able to seek that help. So if just, like we said, if just one mom takes the next step and talks to her family doctor, then it will be have work, have, it will have been worth our time to record this episode. So if that was you, and I would love to hear that, I would love to encourage you with that. Um, send me a DM, connect with me over email. And for everyone else, if you have not yet, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Send this episode to a friend who is in a pandemic postpartum or um, just share how this podcast is hitting you in the feels where of telling you what you need to hear. I would love to know that it's resonating with you. So um, I appreciate your support. I am so glad that you are here to have this conversation. I hope that you feel encouraged and empowered after each episode. Go join my email list on um, download the Calm Big Emotions guide. Uh, watch the masterclass that I have uh, as a completely free resource called Chaos to Calm if you have strong willed littles. And just know that I am cheering you on. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. I believe in you and I'm cheering you on.